0: All right, y'all, we're back. Hilda Labrada Gore is today's guest, and she's somebody that I've been tracking for a very long time. Um, she's the host of the Wise Traditions podcast, which is a part of the Weston A. Price Foundation. And if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know that I talk a lot about Weston A. Price. Sally Fallon Morell, the head of the Weston A. Price, is an author of some of my favorite books. Dr. Thomas Cowan has co authored many of those books. So much, so much great material there. Uh, nourishing Traditions is a must-have, and I've said it many times, if you're parenting or you're about to be a parent, the Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care is the Bible on organic, natural remedies for anything that your kid might go through, and also really what to put in their body that gives them the most robust, beautiful immune system on the planet. One thing I've loved about Hilda Gore is that she has not shied away from speaking the truth or having guests on the podcast that uh, you know in the last three years really have put their neck on the line. I've loved that. I've loved that. Guests like Tom Cowan, guests like many other great people, uh, authors, people that see the world a little differently than the mainstream narrative, and um, even uh, against you know all the shit one may take, she has stood tall for what she understands to be the truth about health and wellness and and where we fit into that picture. She is an incredible person. I had no idea the depth of her story and what made her into the person that she is today. But y'all know the arc of this podcast. I love the background want to figure out what made people them and uh, hers is fucking fantastic. Like it's a really, really beautiful and amazing uh, and inspiring story. I love what she does. I love that she travels the world. She's kind of known as the Dora the Explorer 2.0, travels the world exploring ancestral wisdom for the benefit of humanity. She's a content creator. She communicates the be- with the best of experts, experiences, and epic adventures on the Wise Traditions podcast. Her holistic Hilda YouTube channel, at conferences, events, and ancestral tours and retreats, uh, covers a ton of shit. And she goes and spends time, like my, my brother, Monsal Denton, from Sacred Hunting. She will go and spend time with different indigenous groups and glean everything she can from their elders and figure out how they live, and, and much in the way that Weston A. Price did in the 1930s. Uh, and we dive into that as well. If you're not familiar with Weston A. Price, don't worry, we won't leave you hanging um, but she has followed in his footsteps, and she's also reconnected to herself and her own ancestors, and is starting to carve her own path. It's incredible. Uh, I love her dearly. I will gladly have her back on this podcast again in the future, and I get to go on her podcast coming up here. So we'll link to that in a while. Uh, this will release before I'm on their podcast, but down the road I'll be sure to mention that to everybody. Because um, I can't wait. I'll be on <laughs> a. It's nice to be on a podcast where you get to sit among other awesome people that have been on that show before. And and I highly recommend that show for people to listen to. Uh, A lot of the episodes are shorter, 20 to 40 minutes, and they just cut right to the chase and dive deeply. And um, I really love that about their podcasts. I don't always have time for an hour. And I certainly don't always have time for three-hour podcasts, even though I make time for Rogan on occasion. And I certainly do for Living 4D with Paul Check. Support this podcast by sharing it far and wide. Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life. Uh, I I saw I saw one on iTunes and I don't fault you for it, but I saw one on iTunes that was talking about how they love listening to the ads and love purchasing all of the products from the sponsors and how great they are and all this stuff. And it would look, it seemed pretty fucking canned, to be honest. It didn't it didn't seem authentic, and um, it certainly wasn't the winner of Organifi's giveaway. If you guys want the free product, like leave me an authentic way. This show's helped you out. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't maybe it didn't change your life like in a Lost a hundred pounds, kind of way, but maybe you go to bed on time. Maybe you eat a little cleaner. Um, maybe you were able to see through the veil a little bit differently around Western medicine and Big Pharma. Whatever the case may be, um, make it real. You know, it doesn't have to be fantastic. It doesn't have to be that you buy all the products and you love all the sponsors. It doesn't have to be any of that shit. Make it real, and we will pick the very best one, and you're going to get a free product from Organifi. Um, I've loved them. They've been one of the longest sponsors of this podcast. I absolutely love Drew Canole. His whole team is awesome. Um, getting another one of their teammates on, uh, Mimi's going to come on with Dr. Nathan Riley, uh, in the next month. So I'm very excited for that, but support these sponsors. They make the show possible. A lot of them have been with me for a very long time. Each one of these has been hand selected. So check this out. We've got Bioptimizers back, baby. And uh, I've got some thrilling news to share with you. The Bioptimizers Black Friday mega sale is in full swing. And guess what? It's not just a one-day thing. It's happening through the entire month of November. This mega deal is available for only my listeners with my code. Yep, you heard me right. It's our little secret. Now, you already know that I have unwavering trust in Bioptimizers. These guys are for the real deal when it comes to improving digestion. And let's not forget about their top-of-the-line magnesium. It's truly the best on the market. Plus, they back up their products with rock-solid 365-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. That's unheard of. (laughs) Like a whole fucking year to try their stuff, and you send it back. Now is the time of year when you fill up your shopping carts and stock up on Optimizers. goodness. Trust me when I say this. You won't find a better Black Friday deal anywhere else, not even on the mighty Amazon The biggest discount you can get and amazing gifts with purchase are available only at my page, buyoptimizers.com slash kingsboo and use the code word KINGSBOO10 in all caps. That's kingsbu S B U one zero in all caps. Again, buyoptimizers.com slash kingsboo and then the code KINGSBOO10. We all have those never-ending Black Friday wish lists, but this year I challenge you to put your health at the top of that list. Instead of those impulse purchases, let's focus on what really matters, so why wait? Choose health over the unnecessary things this Black Friday and head over to Biooptimizers.com slash KingsBoo. Enter code KingsBoo10 at checkout in all caps. And Remember, it's buyoptimizers.com slash KingsBoo with KingsBoo10 in all caps. Don't miss out on this mega deal for my listeners only. We're also brought to you by my longtime friends at paleovalley.com. Remember, they have a, they have a different discount code. It's KYLE, K-Y-L-E, for 15% off everything in the store. One of the things that when people stock up on stuff around the holidays, they're like, I want this supplement to help me. I want that supplement to help me. I want this pill that's going to change the way that I am. But truthfully, diet is one of the, and we talk about this with Hilda Gore today, diet is one of the most important changes you'll ever make. So why not stock up at paleovalley.com on some amazing regenerative beef sticks? Their beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished. Many on the market claim grass-fed, but they're actually finished on grains they source their beef from small domestic farms, regenerative farms, right here in the US. And they use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides and natural flavors often made from GMO corn. They ferment their beef sticks, which creates naturally occurring probiotics, which are great for gut health. This is super important. Anytime you eat dehydrated hydrated food, it can cause a lot of GI issues for people. At the very least, you might get gassy. With their beef sticks, I can assure you, they're gonna go down smooth and come out smooth. And again, when we're talking about health and wellness, when we're talking about what's the thing that's going to change me, get really clear. It is the basics. It's one of the four doctors. And if you focus on Dr. Diet, I guarantee you, you're going to make changes. Stock up on their beef sticks. They're absolutely incredible. They also have a maple bacon pork stick that is so ridiculously good. It will change your life. I can assure you, if, you, if you're down with pork, it's regenerative pork. It's absolutely incredible. Tastes Tastes phenomenal. Every time I travel, I've got two bundles with me, uh, and I'm traveling a lot. I'm going to have at least uh, three bags of it when I go to Vegas this week. And I'm stoked because when I'm in a pinch, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I need a little nourishment, I want to know that what I put into my body is going to help me. It's going to heal me, and it's going to help me build muscle and not put on fat. And I'm not going to get inflammation from it. I'm going to feel good while I do this. And that's what I really hope we can all strive to do. And it's a hell of a lot easier when we make it convenient for ourselves. So go to paleovalley.com and use discount code KYLE for 15% off everything in the store. We're also brought to you today by the homies at Caldera and The Lab, the regimen plus icon. First impressions matter. There are no two ways around it. What's the first thing that somebody notices about you? In most cases, for better or worse, it's your face and more importantly, your skin. If you aren't already it's time to put your best face forward. It's time to put your best face forward. How do you do that? By adding in a skincare routine. And I know, and you know what? It's not hard. All you have to have is the right tools and you haven't had them until now. Clinical, clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day. Use our exclusive code KKP at calderalab.com slash KKP to enjoy 20% off their best products. We got a Whopper. It's awesome. Love it when they hook it up like that. dot com slash KKP. And remember to use KKP at checkout. You're gonna get 20% off their best products. Caldera Lab is absolutely incredible. Uh, The Regimen leads off their product lineup. It's a twice a day routine to transform your skin. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. Men's skincare has never been easier with Caldera Lab and the Regimen. And luckily inside this bundle, you'll find your skincare dream team, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. This face wash leaves all skin types refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. And the good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as help reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of the serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. And they even now have an eye serum, which is my favorite thing called the icon. It addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eyes, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. And this shit works. It works like magic sauce. Like I'm not a dude that's like, I mean, I I used to get punched in the face for a long time and I was cool with it. Didn't really care how I looked. I fractured my left eye twice. I've broken my jaw twice. I've had a ton of other injuries that I don't need to list, but my face has taken a fucking beating. Nothing kicks my ass worse though than the Texas summer sun. And it, and it does so in a way where I'm like, yeah, I'm aging quickly. I'm not, my body's not, I'm not a Comanche. I don't have heritage from this land. I don't think anybody does, even if they are a natural born ticks and probably not the case where their ancestors were from here thousands of years ago. So with that, it's a good idea that we protect ourselves, wear hats, that kind of stuff. And if you're going to be in the sun, which I love, and I don't wear sunblock because I don't need it, I don't burn I want to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and the icon along with the rest of this incredible lineup from Caldera in the lab is a must have. Get 20% off with our code KKP at calderalab.com slash KKP. That's 20% off at Caldera lab slash KKP by using code KKP. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera lab. Last but not least, we're brought to you today by organifi.com slash KKP. Remember to use code KKP for 20% off everything in the everything in the store. You can grab a sunrise to sunset kit to be covered with the red, the green, and the gold. This is the trifecta that I've spoken about for years. This absolutely tastes incredible. Start your day with essential superfoods that help reduce stress and reset your morning. This product contains a clinical dose of ashwagandha, 600 milligrams of proven, proven adaptogen that's been used in Chinese medicine and Eastern medicine for many, many years. It supports healthy cholesterol. It supports healthy cortisol levels, which can aid in weight management. Your cortisol is through the roof. That's fight or flight. Your body's going to store fat. And cortisol does have some benefits. It wakes you up, but we want that in right relation. And if you're jacking yourselves through the roof on caffeine, which most of us do when it's go time, ashwagandha is an amazing adaptogen that won't nullify the caffeine, but it'll balance the body. So all of a sudden I'm awake, but I'm not jittery. And that combo can be incredible. If you know you got to get shit done and you know you got to increase on the stimulants, you definitely want ashwagandha in your system there's a whole host of other amazing products all within this one product. It's one of the things that I love about Organifi. This, this contains vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. If you don't have time to juice, you can take this tasty green juice on the go. And that's another thing that these guys have done that's great. I have many of the tubs, but I also have many of the singles packs. When I travel to Vegas, and I know I'm gonna be staying up late, and I may you know, be having a little fun, a little extracurriculars. I wanna make sure that I've got the antioxidants, the vitamins, the minerals, and the food-based goodies that my body craves Uh, from those experiences to counterbalance any type of fuckery I might be into and shenanigans. And and I know that this is going to help keep me safe, healthy, and strong so that I feel my best and I'm able to rock and roll throughout the event. Moringa's in it. Everybody knows about Moringa. It is referred to as nature's most perfect multivitamin. Detoxifying, anti-inflammatory, hormone balancing, antioxidants, and it supports digestive health. Again, ashwagandha's in there. Chlorella's in there. Single-celled green freshwater algae. Nutrient-rich, high in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, especially high in chlorophyll, not borophyll. It's alkalizing and detoxifying, liver-supporting and blood-cleansing. So again, chlorella is awesome, especially if you're having a good time in Vegas. You want chlorella. All this stuff, 11 superfoods working together in a symphony of incredible energy-boosting and detoxifying benefits is available just in their green juice alone. And I haven't even gotten into the red. I I won't do that to you right now. Get the green, the red, and the gold. It is their Sunrise the Sunset kit at Organify.com slash KKP. And remember to use code KKP at checkout for 20% off. And without further ado, Hilda Labrada-Gore. Holistic Hilda, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Kyle. I'm so excited.
0: I'm so excited. I've been a fan of you from, from the Wise Traditions podcast. Uh, I was looking up some of your bio and realized that we were probably – um, bumping into shoulders at Paleo FX back in the day when we were speaking, that was going on. That was such a good run and such a wealth of knowledge there. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been listening. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast. You've had so many great guests on. Really, when I think about the last three years, you know, you could say in a negative way, like well, people showed their colors or that kind of stuff. But I just I love people who stayed true to their knowledge and true to the ancestral wisdom. And I feel like a lot of people from our background and food did. They could kind of see through through the lies and things like that. But I just love that you guys didn't bat an eye with your guests, and you'd bring people on and say, "Hey, we don't know if this is true or not, but we're still going to have the podcast anyways." And uh, so, so big, big applause for that. You guys have been great. Um, You've been known as the door of the explorer 2.0. You travel the world. You get into really, really cool things, and you share that ancient ancestral wisdom with the world. And a lot of the times, you know, that's that's just as pertinent, you know, I think I think a lot of uh, futurists and people will argue, don't fall in love with the past. the present's never been better, that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, to an extent, and at the same time, you know they, we can't forget what worked and we can't forget what's worked generationally and and really the the medicine that's behind that from our food and the way we grow it and everything else in between. So um, I've been babbling here for a minute now. Tell me what made you, you, what got you into everything that you're doing? You live such an awesome life, um, getting to travel and, and meet really incredible people, but what drove you to, to Western A. Price Foundation and what drove you to all the work that you're doing now?
1: Oh my gosh, Kyle, it is so fascinating. It's, um, and unexpected. What I'm gonna tell you right now is that my destiny was set before I was born. And while that might sound really dramatic, It's because I kind of had a dramatic entry into the world. Basically, I was born with a birth defect. And even before I came on the scene, the doctors told my mother, We think your child is going to have a serious birth defect because my mother was exposed to the German measles and she was low in vitamin A. And if you don't have sufficient vitamin A when you're pregnant, it can lead to birth defects. Now, they didn't know what I was going to have wrong. They said, Your child might uh, be born. Deaf or unable to speak, unable to see, we don't know. uh, But they actually recommended she not even have me altogether. But thankfully, my mom stuck to her guns uh, or to her faith, I will say, and was like, I'm having this baby. So I've always, always valued the preciousness of life. Let me just start there. And then the fact that I was born with a defect, but it was able to be repaired, basically, I had a hole in my heart it was between the lower two ventricles in the heart. So blood was flowing in a direction it shouldn't be flowing. It wasn't oxygenating properly. I'm what they dubbed a blue baby. um, So I wasn't getting everything I needed from this defect. And so then they were monitoring me for years. And when I was nine years old, they performed open heart surgery. And that was really scary for a little kid. I remember the night before the surgery, god bless them my parents went to the movies to get their mind off their troubles and i was alone in the hospital room and a nurse came in and she's like okay it's time for your enema and i was like what and she's like nobody told you what that is i was like no you know and my little boys <laughs> now people wonder why i don't do coffee enemas but there <laughs> i still have some trauma surrounding that one day i'll rectify it but in the meantime it was very scary And then, you know, they put me under. I didn't know what was going to happen the next day. They put me under and they just literally cracked me open, put my body on ice, which I suspect has made me get into cold adaptation as an adult now because they kind of froze me so that they could work on the heart. And in some way, subconsciously, I equate cold with healing. But I digress. So they did that. They froze me, they sewed up the heart, they put it back in me, and then they said, You can do whatever you want. Until that time, I was kind of an uncertain, shaky kind of kid in terms of my body confidence. Um, I didn't know if my heart was going to keep up the good work or not. You know, I've been monitored by the National Institutes of Health and so forth. I'd go to the amusement park, and the signs would say, Not not for pregnant women or people with heart conditions. And I was like, uh-oh, is that me? Like I was nervous. And then I was told you can do whatever you want at nine. So the first thing I wanted to do, honestly, was to give thanks to God because I had the sense that I had a protective hand on me even when I was in the womb. And then that hand also guided the surgeon's skill, right? So I was like, okay, I'm definitely a person of faith now. Um, the other thing I realized is I want to make my body last as long and stay as strong as possible. So I got into fitness. That was my entryway into this health field. And then as I got older, I realized, oh, I want to help other people be as healthy as possible too. So that's kind of what set the course for my getting involved in health and wellness. But I thought it was just going to be exercise, not even diet and exercise, just exercise. I was like, work it off, stay strong, go to the gym, lift weights until a dear friend of mine got chronic fatigue and the doctors had no answers for her whatsoever. She didn't know what to do. So she started experimenting with diet and she was going with, you know, vegetarianism and then other things and then macrobiotic. And she was eating so many carrots. She literally looked orange. It was crazy. And that's when she met the head of the Weston Price Foundation at a health fair. She ran into Sally Fallon Morell, and Sally was gracious enough not to comment on the color of my friend's orange skin. And she simply handed her a copy of her book, Nourishing Traditions. And she said to my friend, you may want to read this. And that changed my good friend's life and consequently mine because my friend started saying, you know, it does matter what we eat. And she showed me that book and it just led me down the rabbit hole of understanding healthy traditions and ancestral wisdom in a way I never would have expected.
0: Yeah, it's 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 mind blowing when you dive into that. I, I s- similarly started from from fighting, which was you know a form of fitness. You got to be in shape to do that, and um, was really focused on just how do I how do I build muscle and cut weight, like a lot of bodybuilders and things of that nature, you know. And then I had a strength coach that turned me on to Paul Check, and then how to eat, move, and be healthy. He has a huge section on Weston Price and his travels and what he came up with. And then Paul's great, you know, he he throws in, you know, all the books and stuff that he learned from. So I just started rabbit holing nursing traditions. I got the nursing traditions book of baby and child care right when we were pregnant with our son Bear. And so much of that it just rung true. Like it was like a like a soul, yes. You know, like the whole body's like, oh, okay, I'm in the truth right now. And um it's really mind blowing. Like when when you start to employ some of the practices that you get from that style of eating, and then how you know when you actually nourish yourself, how different you think where your emotional state ends up, how you sleep, like all these other things are affected by it. You know, and Paul has the the four doctors. He's got Doctor Movement, Doctor Diet, um, Doctor Quiet, and Doctor Happiness. But all those are predicated. You know, they're all intertwined. It's not like one's in front of the other. But when you, when you master one of those things, like diet, everything else improves. It's really incredible. And I was, I was so blown away. I remember at that point, this was post-college, I was like, I'm never reading a book again. I don't have to read a book again. I'm done. <laughs> and uh, and then I saw the Flight in Your Abs forever video and I was like, all right, I'll read his book. And then I read his book and I was like, how much more can I learn from books? If this one thing could change my life, then and that, that really renewed my love for learning. But yeah, the there's so much and and she's been so incredible as well and just a tremendous author in, you know, in in recent years, you know, with everything going on. So and that's such Sally, a that's such an amazing thing that got you.
1: Totally. And then Sally of course points to Dr. Price himself and his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Like talk about mind-blowing. Even if you didn't read it, if you just looked at the pictures, you know, he traveled the world. I know you know the story, Kyle, but he traveled over 10 years. He went to like 14 countries. His quest was to find untouched or isolated indigenous people groups and see what was making them so healthy. Because he was a dental, he was in the dental field and a researcher in the 1930s, and he got National Geographic magazine. He could hardly believe his eyes, the people with the broad faces, with a good posture, with that strength and vitality that was emanating from the images. And he thought, I want to see them for myself. And I want to see what they're eating. And of course, being a dentist, he wanted to see what their teeth were like. So he went everywhere from Australia to the South Sea Pacific Islands to Scotland to and you know Alaska. And what he found was, of course, the diets were very different, but the healthiest people were still eating their traditional diets, their traditional foods that were local, seasonal, seasonal, and available where they were at. So in Alaska, it was like whale blubber and seal oil and, you know, and in Kenya, it was meat and milk and blood. And he examined the teeth. They had very few incidences of cavities, those who were on the traditional diets. And they were also just as hale and hearty and strong as they appeared in the National Geographic magazine pages. But he was also, this is the cool part of his work, he was able to contrast the people that were healthy and living their traditional ways with those who had departed from those ways who were related. So you couldn't just say, oh, it's just genetics, the messiah are naturally tall and lean and strong. No, he found people that had left their diets and started to include what he called the displacing foods of modern commerce. So white flour, refined sugar, uh, vegetable oils, canned foods, including condensed milk and so forth. And he contrasted their health and their cavities and all the things. And of course it started to deteriorate. So this is the basis of his foundational seminal work that he published in his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And so when I first got excited about the Weston A. Price Foundation, it came upon them through my friend. I was like, oh, I want to help them. I want to get the word out. Maybe I'll, you know, rework some brochures they have or something, because I'm a, like a writer translator type person. And instead I had the privilege of going to Kenya because they said, you know, we need two people to go with for us to Kenya. A Maasai warrior had contacted them, and he had found some Western Price stuff. You know, the way you do, you just come across stuff. And he said, oh, my gosh. He's like, I have diabetes. My wife has asthma. We're all getting sick. He literally was saying, we're all getting sick. Please send someone over. So I raised my hand when I found out about this, headed to Kenya, and I had the privilege of saying... Don't eat the American way, for goodness sakes. Don't eat our way. Eat your way. Eat the way that has served you for thousands and thousands of years. And their community, I went to this small village called Oiti on the border of Tanzania. um, They had begun to have sodas and uh, the displacing foods of modern commerce, just like Dr. Price noted. And what Dr. Price noted, is, it doesn't just cause more infections and cavities, but the following generations Would have a narrowing of their facial structure so their teeth would be more crowded and they would have worse vision and hearing and posture and behavior. And just to get back to your point, Kyle, of the difference nutrition can make, when Dr. Price came home to Ohio, he thought, let me just give kids one good meal. So he started cooperating with some, I guess, some schools in Ohio. I forget the exact place where he was at the time, but he said, let's just give them one good meal. It had bone broth-based soups and stews, sourdough bread and butter, and raw milk. And do you know that the kids' grades improved and their behavior improved and so much changed from that foundational meal that he was giving them in the middle of the day? So I agree with you. All these things work together. I mean, I've seen so many things in my travels, which I can't wait to tell you about. But uh, let me just say that, that diet is super foundational for a healthy, happy life.
0: Yeah, that's so good, and you're right. It is. It is the pictures where it's it's so undeniable. You know, you see side by sides, and you see just the look of it, and, and it was interesting to me too. Like uh, one of the things that that um, Dr. Price points out is that a lot of these tribes, indigenous cultures, had no word for cancer. They had no word for heart disease. They didn't. It didn't exist. And it didn't exist at a level where there was 0.0%. That's so they had never had a name for it because it actually wasn't around. It's not that they couldn't diagnose it. It didn't exist. I found that incredibly uh, eye-opening. And two, you know, to, to survive without, you know, a toothbrush and uh, toothpaste and floss and all the things that we require. And they have just perfect teeth. They almost look fake, you know, in these wide skulls with the airways. I had a, a holistic dentist on the podcast who was awesome he's talking about mouth formation and all these things but yeah when you're when your mouth's crowded i mean you're getting sleep apnea you're snoring you're doing all the modern problems right so so much there where it was just like holy shit this is all tied together like this is wow like i (laughs) I had no idea and the generational piece that you alluded to is such a big one um you're familiar i'm sure with with pottinger's cats
1: Yes. Oh, you my want to
0: tell goodness. this? Tell you, can you talk about that? Because this is such a great one, too, and I don't think I've mentioned it on this podcast before.
1: All right. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know more about Price than Pottinger, but I believe he wanted to see if he changed the diet of a number of cats, what would happen to the next generation, to subsequent generations. And so he did. He gave some cats the raw food they're accustomed to, including raw milk, and others were deprived of it. They were still fed, but not the same diet that was necessary for cat growth and health. And it wasn't just that the cats got irritated or lost some fur when they weren't eating the right diet, but the next generation was sicker. And then the third generation couldn't even reproduce. And so it is very um, eye-opening and a lesson for us to pay attention to. People talk about the canary in the coal mine, we should talk about the cats. The cats, pay attention to the cats because what happened to them is happening to us. you know. At every turn, there is a lack of fertility, there is aggression, anxiety, depression. We're having so many things, as you said, that couldn't even be named in the traditional tribes. But I do want to say this too. You were exhibiting a characteristic that I love that I also embrace, which is that learner posture, that curiosity, that kind of insatiable longing to know more. I want to invite anyone listening to this, if you're listening right now, Get curious about what's around you. Get curious about who you can learn from. Everybody in any given room knows something more than you do. You know, feel free to explore that, and especially from people from a different culture or from a more um, a culture that's still close to its indigenous roots. Why do I say this? Because in Dr. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, at one point, I think Dr. Price approached some Native Americans, some Indians, and he said, Tell me the secret. You're not getting scurvy, and yet your diet doesn't include any fruits. You know, they were just eating mostly animal products. He's like, what's happening here? He was extremely curious, and they explained that they got the glands of the moose from a certain part of the animal, and that they divided it up between everyone, and that had vitamin C in it. I don't think they mentioned the vitamin C part, but obviously it had something that was helping them not get scurvy. And when Dr. Price said, why haven't you told the white man this, they said... The white man knows too much to ask us. And Mm. what they were saying is he's too arrogant. She's too arrogant to approach and humble themselves before us to ask what we know that they don't. And so I think that's a word of caution for all of us. Whenever we think we've gotten it all sewed up, we may be wrong and we need to be willing to be humble and and lifelong
0: learners. Mm, That's such a beautiful point. Yeah, that's an incredible story, one that I hadn't hadn't, uh, remembered from his work. Well, so you have this first trip out to Kenya. I'm sure this is something now where you're just like, couldn't go any better. You're doing some awesome work. And, uh, and that, that pretty much aligns you now with the Weston Price Foundation. And, and you, you just sent on travels from there. Talk about how you, how you get to become this world traveler.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think in part, it was also a question of, of destiny. Like I said, I thought I'd help the foundation with a few brochures. But when I was in that village in Oiti, in Kenya, I met an elder in the tribe, and he was so old, Kyle, he literally didn't know how old he was. They don't keep track. And he just, he (laughs) was walking with a little walking stick, and he came up to where I was staying. And I thought, oh, my goodness. As they say, elders are like walking libraries. I thought, I have to interview this man. I hadn't even started the podcast. But I grabbed my phone. I pushed voice memo record and like started through a translator asking him questions. What do you eat? What did you eat as a child? What was your health like? I thought, I need to learn as much as I can through this man. And this is what he said. We ate whatever we could catch. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, they're hunters, you know. It was Whatever wild game they could catch, they would eat. And then he said, maybe some wild honey and fruit, but mostly whatever we could catch. And then I said, well, what was your health like? And he said, we never got sick. We never got sick. He said, if we ever felt a shiver coming on, like maybe maybe under the weather, he didn't use that term, but when we felt a shiver, he said, we would drink milk from the cow. And he demonstrated getting it straight from the udder. I was like, oh my goodness. And then he said, and now they say cold is coming and my grandchildren have to wear jackets. He said, we didn't have jackets. And now they say disease is coming and they say we have to get shots. We didn't have shots. And so I was just blown away listening to this man. <clears throat> So many stories, more stories I could tell you from that. But the bottom line is when I returned, I immediately went to Sally and I said, we've got to lift up these voices. And you all already know so many authors and health experts in this alternative field. Maybe we can do something, a show. And um, and to my surprise, she said yes. And I only say to my surprise because I don't even know if the time she knew what a podcast was. Not many people did, you know, about <laughs> eight years ago. So she said yes. And uh, we took off. And it makes me so happy because we have lifted up um, some Indigenous voices. It's not always easy to get microphones and cameras in these remote places, you know. And that did kind of become a launching pad for getting this information out, but for me too. So the foundation did tell me, they're like, Hilda, we can't keep sending you places as much as you'd love to go. I was like, send me here, send me there. And then I realized, oh, if this is on my heart, and I do feel it's my mission to be like Dorothy Explorer 2.0, you know, to explore the world, uncovering ancient health traditions, to restore the energy and vitality of humanity. I I find this so compelling. Then the money will come. I've got to trust that the money will come. So, you know, I reached out to a couple of companies that I trusted that would maybe support my work and to, you know, people who believe in the mission and maybe don't have a way to give. So anyway, so I lifted, started a GoFundMe or a Patreon or something. Anyway, so I've kind of self-funded some of these trips. And honestly, even though sometimes like the trip to Ethiopia and Mongolia, they clear my bank account. I'm like, you know what? It's worth it. Because it's not about the money, is it, Kyle? Like we're doing this not because we're trying to become, you know, a big fish in a small pond or the next Joe Rogan or whatever. We're just simply vehicles of, you know, lifting up what we find to be true and that we hope will resonate with others and and change their life for the better. I, yeah, I'm really, really compelled. And I did think, I'll just tell you one last thing here. Um, When I was in Australia, I thought, okay, I'm following in the footsteps of Dr. Price. At first I was like, okay, Kenya, Peru, Ecuador, uh, Australia, let me just keep going to places where I know Dr. Price has been. And in Australia in front of a crowd that included, you know, um, some of the Aboriginal people, um, I said to them, you know, I'm following in the footsteps of Dr. Price. And this Aboriginal woman named Auntie Sib, I'll never forget it. She said to me at over dinner at the table, she said, you're not following in the footsteps of Dr. Price. And I was like, shocked. She said, you're doing what your ancestors have called you to do. You are a first nation person. Welcome home that moved me so much because it rang true. Because I was always wondering, what's a Latina doing following the footsteps of this Canadian dentist guy? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then I realized, oh, she's right. This is bigger than me. And so I'm extremely gratified because it is a privilege to sit next to an Indigenous person who's still living according to to their traditional ways and, and learn from them. At first I thought, oh, I'm just going to go and talk about Dr. Price. Sometimes I do get that opportunity, but more often than not, I simply get to learn and experience another way of approaching good health. And it's, it's fascinating and life-changing for me and for those who get to benefit from it.
0: Yeah. it's So incredible. And I think, you know, to your point on, on, a. Uh, you know, the learning, it's not like there's one that Western Price didn't find, you know, one universal diet. Like you, you mentioned, you know, with the Inuit, they were mostly seal blubber and whale blubber, right? And it's very little carbohydrate. If they did, it would be, you know, some, some wild berries that would grow for a couple months in the summertime. And that's it. 10 months of the year, they're going back to the blubber. And then if you, I think there was a pygmy tribe in Africa that was mostly sweet potatoes or yams, like 90% and then grubs and bugs, kind of like Timon and Pumbaa. For their protein source, you know. So those are those are pretty opposite end of the spectrum, you know. When you think about that, yet both had phenomenal health and both were eating according to where they are. I think, you know, when they you can oversimplify things, but if you look at, you know, the polar regions, a mixed diet, or you know, the equatorial regions, that's a an easy way to kind of break that down. And obviously everyone's unique and it takes some more investigation on what exactly is gonna do good for us, but that is such a cornerstone piece. Um what are some of the other cornerstone pieces that you found along your way in visiting all these people because I think that that it's an, it's a it's it's something you can grab onto where like I'll never eat the same again you know it doesn't mean I won't have an occasional deep dish pizza on my son's birthday or something like that but 99.9% of the time I've changed the way that I eat and I think uh, any of these other other lessons would be super pertinent for this podcast
1: Oh yeah absolutely you know I have Definitely, a lot of ancestral secrets I want to share, but also I can say this: the foundation has eleven principles. They're dietary principles for people to take as they wish. As you said, there's bioindividuality. We're different ethnically. We live in different locales, so it's important to pay attention to what's going to serve us best. But these principles include things that Dr. Price noticed as commonalities among these different dietary. Indigenous people groups. So number one is to avoid overly processed and denatured foods. And that just means avoid the stuff in the packages, in the shiny little things, even if it says, you know, natural or paleo, you know, you're just better off eating more whole, real foods, single ingredient foods, as my friend Cindy O'Meara calls it. Like, so meat, eggs, fish, you know, butter, simple. It's like one word, not a long list of stuff on any package. If it is packaged or you get it from your farmer, better still, you know, there's there's a vibrancy that comes from eating food that's alive. And I've seen this wherever I've gone. Yeah, pretty much everywhere I've gone. The food that's on the supermarket shelves, they intend to make it shelf stable and have a long life there. And I say, if that's the intention, it gives you a short life. So avoid the things that last forever <laughs> on the shelves. It's going to shorten yours. I mean, I I have so many stories about this. I, I think of when I went to Peru and I got to go to some mountains outside of Cusco and there were some school children there. Their faces were so broad, like what Dr. Price saw, you know, they're two hours, three hours away, a a huge mountain ride up the hill to be with them. And their faces were broad. Uh, Their cheeks were ruddy, not from eczema or, you know, some rash, but from the beautiful sunlight that they were getting. Their families were still farming. And in their little snack area, because it was a school I visited, they had stuff from the government. It was like little packages of like protein mix, let's say. But the first ingredient was literally corn syrup. I remember vividly that corn syrup and soybean oil were in those packages. And next to that, they had chicken feet. Chicken feet. Like, that was part of their traditional diet. Like, chew on that baby, you know, get the collagen, get the the stuff, the gristle stuff that we would turn our noses up at. But that's a real food. That's a real something right from where you're at that you're going to benefit from. The collagen, the glycine, the stuff that's in there that they could— Not out of it. I don't chew on chicken feet myself because I've got a (laughs) customized palate. But let me tell you this when I travel the world, I do my best to accept what I'm served with gratitude. And they're not serving me hot pockets. You know, they are serving me good, real foods most of the time that I simply am unaccustomed to. When I was in Mongolia just last November, um, I mean, no, yes, it was just last November. They, the man, the Kazakh eagle hunter that I was with, believe it or not, I can hardly believe it when I say that, he they had just roasted like a goat, and he brought the head to the table, and he was digging out the brains and handing them to me. You know I said, thank you, and ate them. <laughs> not that I'm accustomed to eating brains, but I know that they prized the organ meats, and they still do. The traditional peoples know that it's not about what satisfies the palate, it's about what nourishes the body. So... This is one thing also that impressed me about Mongolia, and it's actually principle number three of the Wise Traditions Diet, is nutrient density. Get the most bang for your buck. There's a reason people buy a bag of potato chips or takis and eat the whole thing. It's not because they lack willpower. It's because their body's saying, huh, this tastes like food or or cheese or something that's going to nourish, but the nourishment hasn't come yet, so keep going. You know, your body is doing the right thing and your mind is telling you subconsciously keep going because I'm waiting for the good stuff to come. But when, in contrast, when you eat something that's genuinely nourishing like liver or, you know, uh, a grass fed pastured pork chop or what have you, like it's, it's so satisfying. It still has the fat, you know, and you don't have to season it much to make it good. And you're not going to want to eat a whole bag of chips because your body is saying, thank you. That was good enough. You know, so... This idea of nutrient density, I think, would be a good one for us to get back to. And that's a beautiful thing I've noticed everywhere around the world, too, is that they eat the whole animal. They use the bones for broth. They they eat the liver and the organ meats because they know that they're more nutrient-rich than the muscle meat. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I could go on and on, but I just feel like those two things, those two principles are key, avoiding processed foods and eating more nutrient-rich foods.
0: I love that. It's funny thinking of the chicken feet. I remember when I first got into making my own bone broth, I was like, I was having a hard time getting it to be gelatinous. You know, and know, I was using really good regenerative bones and and um, you know knuckles and different things like that. And like, there's plenty of collagen in here. Why isn't this thing getting the way that I want it to? You know, and somebody's like, if you tried chicken feet, it's like, oh, really? And they're like, oh yeah. And so the second I got like a pound of chicken feet, you know, it was like Jello. I was like, oh wow, this is this is night and day. Like it's a whole different ball game. And a little easier to consume than than none on them, but I'd be down to try that. That'd be cool.
1: I know I should have gotten some, but you know, it didn't occur to me at the time. Um, What's funny though, because you were talking about how diets vary around the world and depending on where you're at, you know, they do eat a lot of quinoa and I think, oh my gosh, yes. When I was with those school children, they offered me like a fermented soup. They say it's like penicillin in terms of its antibiotic properties like a healthy antibiotic not against you know the biome but like working synergistically with the biome and it was some kind of fermented quinoa potato soup and wow that took some getting used to so I, I just ate a little bit and I was like oh, I'm a small person which is true you know I only have room for so much and then they gave me some in a to-go cup and I was like ah oh, <laughs> thank you I think but really it's an honor and a privilege to see how people eat and to be reminded of how we used to eat like I've interviewed Dr. Bill Schindler. I don't know if you know him. He's fascinating. He wrote a book called Eat Like a Human. And he's here on the Eastern Shore in Maryland, not far from where I'm at. And he just says, the question is not what should we eat that we often think, what should we eat? What should, what should we eat? It's like, he's like, how should we eat it? It's about preparing it properly so that the nutrients are more bioavailable so that the anti-nutrients are neutralized or diminished. So for example, I'm not afraid of a good sourdough bread. I'm I'm not a fan of most breads because the gluten is kind of intolerable. No wonder people are gluten intolerant, right? It's the way they process it. And it's also the glyphosate that they spray on it that can irritate the gut. But a good sourdough where it's had time to ferment, like that's bread that's um, neutralize some of the negative stuff and, and made more bioavailable, what nutrients are available. Like I just, oh, and it tastes so good with some butter. Oh, don't get me started. But anyway, um, so yeah. So I think uh, those principles are really important. And then to go back to the Peruvian children real quick, I've kind of witnessed these ancestral secrets, as I said, and one of them is the sun. And I talked about the sun on their cheeks Some of their homes and the places I've gone have no electricity. So what? They rise with the sun. Their circadian rhythms are in sync with nature. They're in harmony with their surroundings. And they they get the benefits of that early morning sun. I went from night owl to morning bird, if that's a thing, Um, early bird, I guess, Um, when I started getting the sunrise sun. I don't mean I got up like right at the crack of dawn. And let's say it was at 545. I would get up and get the sun in my eyes. Within 30 to 45 minutes of sunrise. And when I did that, it made every clock and every cell in my body sync up with nature. And so I got tired earlier and I had more energy from the sun. There's no UVA or UVB in the spectrum. So it kind of feeds you in a different way, the spectrum of light in those early morning hours. It was good for my metabolism, my energy. I could go on and on, but it made me this like, Quantum health girl, as Jack Cruz would say, a black swan. Yeah, I really got into it and I've never looked back. My husband scoffed at me at first and now he's like, Oh my gosh, you are an early bird. I, I love it so much. And so it's something that I've had to kind of biohack or be intentional about, but it's something I've witnessed among people in Peru, in Mongolia, in Ethiopia, and other places of the earth too. So the sun, the sun is one of the huge overlooked secrets. It's right above our head, kind of right in front of our noses, and we really shouldn't miss it.
0: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we, we're we building our house right now on a regenerative farm down in Lockhart, and one of the things, like the the Western Wall faces the sunset, and it's great because we're up high, so we've got this, hor- uh, you know, right on the, nothing's blocking us on the horizon. But in the east, it's like we got a lot of trees there, so how do we get up? So we did a little star deck just literally for the sunrise, And and, you know, it's cool at night, but I want to see the sunrise every morning. And, um, we had Matt Maruka on the podcast as a Jack Cruz understudy and just a phenomenal young man, you know, wealth and knowledge. And he was big into that too. And the thing that I noticed in particular about watching sunrise was it changed my neurochemistry. It's almost like an ice bath first thing in the morning, the whole rest of the day, I felt better. Like it was like, it's, it's a noticeable, it's like, Oh shit, I'm good. No matter what happens today, I'm good because I got to watch the sunrise. You know, like it's, it's very lifting and it lasts a long time. It's not like I saw the sunrise. Cool. Now I got to do emails. It's like, no, I I saw the sunrise. I can do anything that's necessary today.
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love Matt. He is so brilliant. And he's only like 23. I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) But guess what? He was driven by curiosity. I don't know if you know the story, how he snuck into Jack Cruz's talk. He didn't have a ticket. It was expensive. I forget what part of the world it was. And Jack loved it. Jack was like, come on. And he kind of took him under his wing because he's like, this kid wants to know. I'm going to teach him everything I know. So powerful stuff. But yeah, in Mongolia, they wake up with the sun to milk the yaks. In Ethiopia, they told me, I, I saw some tribes this past summer. They said, we have a kind of sunrise coffee ceremony. They said, we get together in our village and we share coffee. It's like two hours that we're talking. And so get this, they're doing all the things. They get the sunrise, they have community, they're grounding, like all at the same time. It was so powerful. I wasn't a part of the coffee ceremony though. They did offer me some later, but they were telling me, this is what we do every day. I was like, wow, good stuff.
0: That's super cool. I haven't been, I've, I've, I've been through, uh, the airport in Ethiopia, but I haven't spent much time in the country. But one thing I noticed was Everyone was friendly there. I was like, this is almost like, like it's, it's odd. It's a feeling I got in Thailand and some other countries where like big smiles. Everyone's, I was like, damn, this is cool. And I don't know how, you know, obviously it was my time in the airport, but it seemed like all the locals were genuinely happy. You know, like they seemed, and on the airplane, on the flight too, all the flight attendants that were from there, were like Are you guys from different countries or Ethiopia, and they're like all Ethiopia and they were all awesome. They were so much fun. I was like, There's, that speaks to something about a culture as well.
1: I think so too. Um, one challenge I'll just share with you because I love that yours is a long form podcast so we can say as much as we want. Um, so my friend Mary Reddick and I were traveling together and we had a guide, a local guide and uh, almost straight out of the gate, he said to us, you know, our, our country is very needy. Uh, there's just a lot, a lot of need. And we, he goes, I'm trying to set up a, a system to support kids so they can go to school. And most Westerners would be like, oh, school, you know, notebooks and pencils for the kids and and shoes. But because I've traveled so much of the world and because I've seen that education doesn't just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, as they say, but it inculcates a culture and sometimes a shame against the traditional cultures and languages, I was a little hesitant. And still to this day, I'm in touch with this guy, but I'm like, I don't know how to tell him that the tribes I saw are beautiful. Like, why are we trying to Westernize them with our method of education when the younger children can learn from the elders in the tribe. Like I, I don't know, and maybe I'm I'm taking it too far. But shoes keep them from grounding. Schools keep them away from their families and the community in which they're grown. And it's inculcating again not just skills for getting a modern job, but it's it's inculcating a a different way of seeing the world. And probably when they're done, they'll go away to the city, leave the village, so they can. Provide for their family, but what if they already have everything they need? These are the kinds of questions I wrestle with at times.
0: Yeah, that's that's a brilliant it's a brilliant question. Um, I'm sure you've read "Deschooling Society" by Ivan Illich.
1: I haven't.
0: Oh God, you will love it. It's a short read. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan recommended it to me, and, and loved every page of it. But it's mind blowing, and it, and it really it it will put in verse of what you think of education. You know, from a modern standpoint, and also really alludes to. What happens to indigenous cultures? You know, when they're only schooled to grade five, or when, like Native Americans, had to stay in school for twelve years, but they just repeated the third grade. Uh, that's in John Fire Lame Secret Visions um, book. You made it a third grade, and you repeated third grade for however many years, right? So then, when you have a minimum education requirement for college or a minimum edu- education requirement for a job, sorry, you don't have the minimum education requirement. And that was done on purpose, and all over the world they did it in Peru. They did it in a lot of places, so that that will help. It's like a you know a modern caste system that everyone agrees upon. And uh, you know my my main qualm is that you're not taught how to think. You're taught what to think, right, in education. And I think that's such a big a big piece of the equation. If we all really think about that, we're not taught what to think or how to or how to think. Rather, we're taught what to think. Like this is what you memorize. This is what you need to know. And um, that's not even cross-referencing that against a place where there is indigenous wisdom, where there are elders, where there are people, wisdom keepers that hold that lineage. And, um, you know, I've, I've had quite a few experiences with plant medicines. I've been fortunate enough to make my way to the Amazon in different locations. And a lot of those indigenous cultures run into the same issues. Kids see an iPhone or they see a TV and they say, no, I want to go to the city now. I want to get out of here all this old medicine stuff is, 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 is crap. I have no interest in it. I don't want to carry that lineage. And, um, there's a lot of places, even, even amongst the Amazonians where that's an issue from Brazil to Peru to Ecuador, where that that's continuing to be an issue. So my hope is that, um, even if people, you know, even if people do want an education that they still could come back and marry those two, the wisdom lineage of their ancestors with the modern education.
1: Yeah. Maybe I'll, you're giving me a lot to think about and you're the, First person that I've taken notes on when I was the guest on their on their show, but I wrote down the name of that book. I will definitely check it out. Um, I think you're exactly right. There there may be a way in which the, the beautiful treasures of traditional wisdom are not lost. I'll have to talk to my guide more about that. What kind of school are we talking here? But the reason I think I was also a little hesitant is because when I interviewed that Maasai warrior elder, that first time when I grabbed my phone and, and hit voice memo, I said to him, why do you think there's been this shift? You know, that we need to get shots and jackets and all the things. Why has there been this shift in health also? And he said, education. That was his, his answer education. And so that's why I'm like, oh, red flag. You know, what are they educating and what are they inculcating in our young people? That's, I have his words sometimes ringing in my ears about that.
0: Yeah, that hit that home for sure. Well, continue on the path here, please. This is awesome. I'm loving every second of this.
1: Oh, good, good. Well, gosh, let me think where I can continue, too. Um, I'm going to take us back, actually, to the, the Mongolians. They really blew me away with their strength and resilience. And if there's something we need today, Kyle, it's resilience. You know, I think... Uh, we're too easily offended. You know, oh, somebody said something on social media. Let me go home and, and eat some ice cream. I had to comfort myself. I don't even know, but you know, <laughs> we're just, we've turned into these, you know what? We're virtual cowards, dare I say, that we're willing to kind of shoot, fire shots, you know, in social media. But when we come face to face with someone, we're not going to say anything because we're scared. But, you know, we have the anon- anonymity of the screen, which I think sometimes protects us. But I digress with all that. Um, what I want to get to is my Mongolian friends. Was that where I was headed? Yeah. Um, yep. Strength and resilience. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so we're building resilience. And part of it is body confidence. You know, you started out in that fighting world. You know, I did, too. And that's like there's something that comes with movement that is irreplaceable and Benefits us on so many levels. You can even hear my voice is getting stronger as I'm increasing my posture and my intensity as we're talking here. I, I was so impressed. So I had the privilege of going to Western Mongolia and being with some Kazakh eagle hunters. They're nomadic people, so they've got to move their gurs or their yurts from time to time. In the winter, they go to more sheltered areas. It's a very sparsely populated, harsh land out there. And not only do they move their gurs, but they Uh, Take care of their animals. They often have yaks or camels, horses, and so forth. And so they've got to uh, have the strength to manage all of that and mend fences and all the things they do. Actually, I didn't see many fences, so maybe they're not mending fences. The animals can go wherever they want because (laughs) there's no place for them to get away to. It's just all open (laughs) land. It's crazy. (laughs) But another way I saw their strength was with the eagle hunting itself. So what they do is they use eagles to hunt for prey, for food and fur. So they train the eagles, much like a falconer might do in the U.S. or in different parts of the world. They get the little eaglet when he's under a year old from the nest. And then they put a little hood on it and teach it to recognize its master's voice. And they give it bits of rabbit or this or that. And then they train it to come down. And I got to witness this some, um, with Oscar's family, actually. Um, they would let the eagle go up the mountain to a certain... Part, someone would release the eagle there, take the hood off, and he would fly down to where one of Oscar's daughters would be dangling some rabbit meat, and it would swoop down as she called it. And then her job at that moment was to put the little hood back on and the little thing around his ankle, his little webbed foot there. Um, and then they, so they keep working with it until it can go great distances and again get the prey, which could be a wolf or a rabbit or a fox for the fur and the food. And it was amazing to watch but also to let an eagle perch on my arm so when I did that I thought oh my goodness I have some more strength training to do because those eagles the female eagles that they use are huge and it must have weighed like 40 pounds and just to hold it like this for a few minutes was a lot of work and they do this all the time as they train the eagles so yeah I was blown away by those people and now I understand in greater part why the Mongolians are known for being a conquering people, of expanding their empires and territory over the centuries because they are strong and resilient. And part of it is the movement and part of it is the diet. And what do they eat there? It's mostly meat and fat and dairy products, because all they have is like their yaks and their camels and their horses, because hardly anything grows—not enough for people to eat, for goodness sakes. So they eat what from the animals, and it was beautiful and amazing and and heavy, which I guess is what they need there too, because it's cold. Um, so anyway, it was a marvelous experience, and I'm I'm so thankful for what they taught me about strength and resilience.
0: Yeah, it seems like one of the the hardest places to be. I have a good good friend of mine, Monsell Denton who does uh sacred hunting and, and uh, he's a guide and, and really cool. He also ventures to different places to work with different tribes and their hunting skills. And I think he was in uh, the Gobi desert. Is that, is that the one in Mongolia? Yeah. And yeah. he said like, they, they did bloodletting of the camel for a little bit to, to drink some of the warm blood when they were running low, they had curdled milk products, which basically sustained them and were, you know, fermented and obviously very good for them. But yeah, he said, it was like, you look around and it's like, they're, it, it's hard to believe that that a culture can be there. I do that in Vegas and, you know, I went to school at Arizona state and you look around you're like, man, if if there wasn't a city here, what what would people do? I know indigenous cultures lived here, but um, it's pretty sparse, you know? And then you think about that in contrast to the Gobi and it's like, there's there's two different, they're completely different leagues. Like one's a different planet. So it's such a vastly different ecosystem, you know?
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And about the bloodletting, yeah. Blood and milk are also um, taken in there in Ethiopia, I found, definitely in Kenya. Um, and I now I know in Mongolia, I actually didn't witness the blood there, but I did, I did drink some fermented horse milk, I think it was. Yes. Because they're doing what they can with their food and even making it more bioavailable since there's not easy ways to store things, right? So it's like, oh, it ferments when you leave it out. Okay, great. We'll drink it anyway. And then it has a little alcohol to it. So party over here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Well, where do you head to next in your travels or where next in down this list of the, the top 11 that you want to cover?
1: Well, two great questions. Um, let's go with the principles. I will say that speaking of blood, um, one of the principles, the last one, is actually that all indigenous cultures prepared for pregnancy and conception, both the man and the woman. And as we alluded to earlier, there is a big problem with fertility right now. And so people, they can't just like get off birth control and in a snap expect to get pregnant. It doesn't work like that. Your body needs to be at its healthiest. It needs to be a, a prime environment for life to be nurtured. So Dr. Price noticed that even people, let's say in the highlands of Peru would come down to the coast to get fish eggs And they would dry them in the sun and then they would take them back up to where they lived. And when he asked them, why are you doing this? They said, so that we can have babies. You know, and I'm not sure they would say, oh, well, we know the the fish eggs have vitamin A, which is good for fertility. (laughs) But they knew what to do instinctively. And these traditions have been passed down. Um, And also when I was in Ecuador, no, actually it was Peru. When I was in Peru, I met with some young moms and they said, oh, yes, our grandmothers have told us and our mothers have told us to drink blood. For fertility. And again, these things may seem out there to some, but I think we would do well to realize that preparing our bodies ahead of time is a good idea. And a prenatal vitamin probably isn't gonna cut it. Most of those are made with synthetic vitamins. So we need to look for real foods that are rich in vitamin A to make the womb a hospitable place. And again, I said both the man and the woman were doing what they could to prepare for conception. So the man needs to be strong and fertile getting his feet on the ground eating foods that nourish that that vibrant health that we all hope for so that the next generation uh, can be well you know i'm as i become more and more of an elder myself i'm passionate about helping young people have children and to make sure that the next generation is well and it's it's scary out there kyle so that's why i look at the kids i'll, I'll tell you a quick story um, this is this was in my hometown of dc here I was um in a dog park, I've got a dog and chatting with a person on the bench next to me, and um, this woman was saying, "You know, I work at a school and um, I'm a teacher, and the kids in the classroom have been so out of control lately they just haven't been taking their meds. and um, and I said, "Well, what grade do you teach?" And she said, "Second grade. Second grade. It makes me want to cry if I really, really let it sink into my spirit. She was talking about the kids needing stuff against depression and having to meet with their counselor and their ADD, and I was just aghast, and I know that that is normal, but I I mean, let, let me switch it. That is common, but it's not normal. Normal is what's healthy and good and our birthright, which is good health, but what's common is the opposite now little kids wearing glasses, little kids on meds, little kids seeing counselors, people depressed. And it's just, we weren't meant for that. And I think if we look back to some of the ancestral secrets I've mentioned, we can re-energize our spirits. One is the sun, as I mentioned. Another is sustenance, which we've discussed. But I also will say spirit matters a lot. Some of the groups I visit are really communities and they are so tight knit. When I was with the Hammer tribe, There were only like 300 people in that village and their huts, their little huts were all close together. When they have a meal, they go and share it with each other. There's not a sense of this is mine and I hope you get yours later because we came home with a kill and you didn't. No, there's an abundance mindset and it's so beautiful and it's something we long for in our Western world. And I think we just need to, just like you and I work out, like we need to be intentional about community. Find your people, find people who feel as you do that meat is good for you and the sun is is good and we don't need to protect ourselves from it. And, and that we need to go back to some of these traditions. And that's, what's going to really lift your spirit. I, you know, I am a person of faith. I I find much encouragement in my Christian faith and at church that's a community too, but I, I love my health minded friends. Like I, I have several groups because we need each other more than ever. And I'll tell you a quick story about community in Ecuador. When I went down there It was uh, the time of Inti Raimi, which I looked up online is like this sun worship festival. And of course, don't believe everything you read online. It was (laughs) much more than that. It was really almost a festival of Thanksgiving, I would say. They were grateful for the sun and the harvest, and they had dances that they did traditionally to celebrate uh, the the gifts of nature. I'll put it that way. Um, But at one point, Christina, this woman I met, said to me, you know, in 2020, a lot of us in our community got sick with COVID, whatever that is. And um, she said, what we did was some women and I gathered traditional plants and uh, some traditional healing medicine, and we took it to each household that had been affected by the sickness. And it was like 20 medicinal plants and herbs, she said. And they took them to every household. And she said, Kyle, not one person was hospitalized and no one died. And my first thought was, can I see the list of the herbs and the plants? Because I'm really curious. Of course, I am curious. But then my second thought was, oh, my gosh, Hilda, it wasn't the plants and herbs in and of themselves necessarily. Think about the context in which those were delivered. It was a context of communal support and love. That probably did much more than even those traditional plant medicines could do. So it was, it was a lesson for me to realize, ah, oh, that community, that is invaluable for our spirits.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And what a what a sharp contrast from uh you know, being quarantined, not allowed, you know, like seeing that nothing broke my heart more than seeing an elderly person with a mask on behind glass, looking at their partner through the glass, trying to touch hands through glass and not being able to touch one another. I can't think of a worse way to go than that, you know, without having human contact. And um, you know, we are we are creatures of contact, like with the the I forget which countries. It was through World War II, but the, the countries where they talk about the orphans not having enough touch, and now literally kids died without affection, right? And, and uh, we overlook that as such an important piece. It's such an important piece of our existence, and, and we only get that through community. We get that through the people that we love. You know, a perfect stranger, especially in today's day, is not going to come up and give you a nice, warm, genuine hug. It's going to be from the people that we know and care about.
1: That's right, and... I'm thinking about what my friend Mary Ruddick, She's a, been a partner in a couple of the travels we've done. She's like, look at these people, Hilda. She always tells me they're all over each other all the time. You know, it's not just the occasional hug. You know, the children were crawling onto our laps when we were sitting in a hut among the Hammer tribe, and but they're they're doing life together. You know, and I think that's why some people in in the U.S. I know now are trying to set up like parallel societies, for lack of a better word. They're trying to come up with intentional communities where they can live among people who believe in regenerative farming. They don't think cows are trying to kill the climate. And, you know, they're really uh, like-minded in a lot of ways. And I think there's something beautiful about that. I see that because we do need that touch in doing life together. If there is a mom listening who's like, oh, my gosh, I want this so much because I'm, you know, I come home from work and I feed the baby and I've got to make dinner and do all these things by myself. It's a lot. Absolutely, it's a lot. I don't think you were meant to do life on your own. We were meant to be in community. So, Seek it out, be intentional. It might even start with some mom's meetup or something, but find people who are your tribe, as they say. And I do think we were meant to live like that. I think loneliness can be more detrimental to our health, and I know it is, even from studies they've done, than than cigarette smoking. So instead of, um, yeah, worrying about those things, like let's, let's find ways to connect and, and touch one another and, and connect in ways that are significant and profound.
0: I love that and you you did touched on one of the questions I wanted to leave us with, but you know being on the inside of of the truth as we are, and having you know so many guests on your podcast that really have made it their mission to convey the truth and uh, at all costs, um knowing that we're not quite out of the bag yet from twenty twenty and that there's more in store what do you what do you center yourself and ground yourself on? Obviously, spirit is such an important piece for me as well, but what are some of the core tenets that you hold? you know, knowing that there are potential more shenanigans, you know, in the loop and on the way?
1: You know, fear and anxiety really depress the immune system function. So I am very careful, just like I am about the food I put in my body. I'm very intentional and careful about what I let into my mind and spirit. So I know there are difficult, difficult things happening in the Middle East, especially right now as we're recording this podcast. And I've only watched like a snippet of one video. And then I was like, I've got to move on. Not because I don't care. Get me, get me right. Hear me out here. I do care. But I don't think we were intended to carry the burden of things that are happening on the other side of the planet as individuals. In other words, our media is Blaring loud and strong when there are natural disasters and man-made violence and all these things all over the place all the time. And in the tribes I visited, they have no idea what's happening in the broader world. Their concern is to get the food for their children on the plate or to, um, you know, go milk the yak. They're not thinking about these things. And in a in a way, Kyle, I think that's a secret to a, a lighter spirit. And then because they're happier, as some of my friends put it, they're vibrating on a higher frequency which I think will help the people in the places of natural and man-made disasters. So what I'm getting at is, I don't watch a lot of the news or let it into my mind and spirit because I do want to be informed. So I do get just a snippet of something. Sometimes it's just through audio. And then I'm like, okay, I hear that. Not sure I believe it. And then I focus on the good stuff that does lift my spirit so that I can be at that frequency or at that level that is emanating love and light. Because what good is it for me to be... Cast down and sorrowful and anxious, with my family whom I can influence is not helping them and it's not helping the people on the other side of the planet. So this is hard. Um, it it might sound easy, but get me right here. I'm not sticking my head in the sand. I am aware of what's happening, but I also don't buy everything I see in here. But so number one, I'm cautious about it. Number two, I'm skeptical of it, <laughs> and number three. I make sure to focus on what's good and true and honorable and pure and lovely and right. So for me, that stuff in the Bible, um, that stuff from, from books that I definitely believe in and recommend, like, you know, Nourishing Traditions, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, and I'm constantly reading and discerning, but I use my best judgment. And I also would say, and this is a secret I learned from Australia, uh, it's not easy for me to do because I'm a girl on the go, but one of the Aboriginal women I encountered said to me, in our culture, we have a tradition of didiri, which is deep listening. And so we get still and we listen. And I was like, okay, this sounds beautiful. And my one friend told me, my Aboriginal friend said, I was going to be a hairdresser until I was still. And I listened and I paid attention to my dreams also. And she said, they guided me to this land. And now she has custodianship over acres and acres of land that were once occupied by her Enangai people. And The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. So I'm like, if we are still, Kyle, we'll be able to discern between right and wrong, between good and evil, between what's true and what's false. We need to tap into our intuition. And part of it is being still. And it's not easy, as I said, but I think it's important because that way we'll be able to have our heads screwed on, right? When the world does go to pot, like we'll know who we are and whose we are. And we'll be able to manage the chaos. And I think that's what helps me in the meantime. I'm like, okay, I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm not going to let all this other stuff get to me. And I'm going to bring the most positive energy and love and light to the people closest to me.
0: I love that. It's an it's an excellent spin on the serenity prayer, you know, because you are you're focusing on the things that you can control. And it seems like you do have the wisdom to know the difference. So I applaud you for that. It's been awesome having you on. Where can people find you and get more from you?
1: Yeah, so they can go to my Holistic Hilda website. I have some offerings there. I've got a Holistic Hilda YouTube channel, and I'm all over Instagram, Holistic Hilda. And of course, they can listen to the Wise Traditions podcast where I lift up guests like you do, and it's just so much fun. I hope people will enjoy it there too.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much. We'll have you back on in the future. It was great having you on.
1: Thanks, Kyle. Good to see you.
0: Absolutely.